Welcome to Unstoppable Faith. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Kazumba Charles. On today's program, I have uh, a very inspirational woman of God making a difference around the world and specifically and powerfully in the nation of Ghana in Africa. My guest, Nana, she's going to share our experiences of child abuse and how it affected our life growing up. Stay tuned and we'll be right back. Welcome to Unstoppable Faith with Dr. Kazumba Charles. This program is designed to inspire you to stand on the Word of God and to help you build unshakable and unstoppable faith in Jesus Christ. Here's your host, Dr. Kazumba. Nana, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I'm excited to hear your testimony and also our guests, I believe they're going to be inspired by your testimony. First of all, let me just say this. Thank you for taking time and courage to share something that is so secretive for the most part because uh, you know many of us feel the shame to share certain things in our lives so we keep them away from every people but for you as I sat down with you you shared everything I knew there is somebody out there listening to this program who's gone through a lot of things now we're not gonna introduce everything that you do for now because we have a three series we begin right now this interview by asking you this question you went through child abuse can you share that with us and with our viewers oh yeah of course um different types of child abuse that I went through it was very horrifying as a as a child to go through it um, every type of abuse you can think of such as emotional abuse physical abuse mental abuse and sexual abuse as well um, the abuse that I went through was actually the, I guess the perpetrators were my parents so with my parents being the abusers I went through a lot because I didn't have anywhere that I could turn to um, and therefore having been through those abuses you know it was very difficult so with the types of abuse that I went through um, it all started when I was actually a, a little tiny baby um, the sexual abuse they figured it started when I was approximately about three years of age until I was 12 um, the physical abuse was from my mother and uh, I couldn't do anything right in her eyes even if I got good grades if I you know did chores no matter what I did and I was actually a really good kid um, you know so that that's what uh, you know I endured a lot of physical abuse from my mom I come home from school um, for example one time 
She grabbed me by my hair at the front door, threw me down on the ground, and dragged me by my hair from the very front door down the hallway and into my bedroom. And at the same time, insulting me, telling me that I'll never amount to anything in life. I'd be lucky if a garbage man would ever marry me, telling me that she should have aborted me when she had the opportunity to, and she told, would explicitly tell me the procedures that she was going to go through, um, that she actually did set up the appointment to have the abortion with me and everything, and that she didn't end up going to the appointment. You know, I thank God for that. But um, hearing that as a child over and over again, the rejection, going through the sexual abuse and the physical abuse from my mother, so I didn't have my mom to turn to about the sexual abuse of my dad, and the theme back then was what goes, in, what goes on inside of this home stays inside of this home. These walls are the secret keepers kind of thing. And if I was to go to school, for example, and say something to somebody, um, I would get into a lot more beatings and a lot more abuse situation at home. So I was afraid. So I kept my mouth shut all the time um, until I, I guess it was grade one when I told one of my little friends at school that my dad does this to me. And I told her, you know, my dad touched me places, take me into his bedroom in secrecy. So my mother didn't know, maybe she wasn't home. Maybe she was outside at the time, different things. Um, my brother was always told, you know, he's not allowed in the room or different things like that. So that then that's how the abuse was happening. Um, the physical abuse and the way that the emotional abuse that I went through with my mother and the mental abuse, it was a lot to go through. Um, it was very painful because here's your parents. They're supposed to love you care for you, nurture you, show you the love, and they're supposed to show you what love is supposed to look like as adults even, you know, between a married couple. So to be your first love of, you know, my dad's supposed to be like kind of like my first love, you know, sort of thing, and teach me how a man is actually supposed to treat me when I grow up, you know, tell me that I'm his princess, tell me I'm his beautiful little girl, you know, and just, you know, be daddy's little girl. And that's what I really wanted deep down inside of my heart. So how long did uh, the abuse, the sexual abuse, go on as a child? The sexual abuse, like I said, they figure it began about three years of age until I was approximately like 12 years old. Um, now, how did this impact your life, your mental capacity, even in school as a young kid? and just growing up, how did this impact your life? It impacted my life in ways that I didn't even understand as a little girl. You know, like growing up, you're supposed to be guided and directed in a positive manner. You know, parents aren't perfect. Don't get me wrong about mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, parents make mistakes, but you know, we're supposed to learn from our mistakes and continue on and teach our children to be, you know, contributing members of society. And with the abuse that I was going through, it really affected me a lot. Um, I actually hated myself. I hated who I was. You know, um, I know you introduced me as Nana, but my birth name is actually Ginger. Um, so um, Ginger was this little girl who was always wanting to be by herself not wanting to be outside a lot, but also too, I did sports. I was involved in any sports, like our family looked normal 
did sports, did girl guides, brownies, you know, soccer, swimming, everything you can think of we were involved in. Um, but the abuse, it really took its toll on me. I was a straight-A student in school, and my grades fell dramatically, drastically when I was, I guess, probably about the seventh grade. And my English teacher at the time was the one asking me, what is going on in your head? What's going on with you? But he didn't understand or know what I was going through at home because I didn't speak about it. And he didn't know how to help me or anything. Um, so he was always there, you know, trying to encourage me, asking me what was going on and stuff like that. And I just acted out in this man's class so bad because he was giving me positive attention, trying to help me and everything. And I was told by my family, don't say anything to anybody outside. So I had to keep quiet about what was going on at home. And this teacher was very persistent, so then I started acting out and started skipping his classes. Because if I was in his class, he's always going to ask me what's going on. And I didn't want to put up with all of that, what's going on with you, what's happening, your grades are falling, you're not doing your assignments, this and that. So what's going on with you? And I didn't want to answer that. I became very, I guess in some sense, I was kind of a little bit of a bully. Mm -hmm. You know, I had friends, but I was a little bit of a bully, you know. I, just wanted to, I guess, be the leader of them and stuff um, because I didn't have any control or anything over my life as a child at home. So if I could have a little bit of control on the playground, then that would be very helpful to me. Um, it would make me feel like I was somebody, I was important, that I had all these friends and they all looked up to me. But, you know, I did have a lot of friends, but some of them would complain about that I would be bullying them and stuff like that. Because of, of all the effects of what you went through, you took it to somewhere. Now, here is um, uh, the, 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 the other point I want us to look at is um, with all these things going on in your life, how did your family present itself to the community? My family was a very... Um, like a pillar to the community kind of thing. You know, they did, they were middle-class people, my parents, they did work. My mother actually ran a daycare center out of the home. So she was home all the time. Um, so they presented very well to the community that's, you know, um, we did, the, like I said, we did soccer, we did um, basketball, we did swimming and all those different things. So everybody saw us as being normal kids, that we were lucky we were put into extracurricular activities. Um, but the activities were also a chance to get rid of myself <laughs> from the home. Um, we, you know, we'd be put on the bus on Sunday mornings to go to um, Sunday school, and my parents would stay at home. So any chance that they would get that they could get rid of us, they kind of did, and we didn't understand, we didn't know why, but, um, you know, we went through all of that, and... Here. Sorry. Your father went to prison for sexually abusing you. How did it unfold? Wow, that's a loaded question. How did it unfold? Um, well, actually, I kind of want to back it up just a little tiny bit um, before he was arrested because I believe that this is very important. It goes back to the previous question that you asked me about my mental state. Mm -hmm. And with all of the abuse that was going on within the home, with the abuse from my dad and my mom and everything, it was either something had to give. Either I was going to kill myself, commit suicide, or he had to go. Something had to be done. 
Um, he was arrested previously when I was approximately 10 years old, but he was released on insufficient um, evidence. evidence. Yeah, uh, evidence. And so therefore he was let go. He was allowed to come back into the home, but he was not allowed to be in the home during the daycare hours that the children were there. But he was allowed to be in the home after that when I was still in the home, which I didn't understand at the time because they're protecting these other children, but nobody was protecting me. So the abuse was continuing on. Like I said, um, either one thing had to give. Either I, I was going to kill myself or he had to go. So I made a decision when I was 12 years old. And I was like, this is enough. I can't do this anymore. And he came home from work. He was wearing his work clothes, he had tools in his pocket, he had his work boots on, and my mother had told him that something was wrong with the jet in the pool in the deep end, so he went to go and take a look at it. So of course he's knelt down beside the pool, reaching down to the jet, and I walked past him and I pushed him in, because I know he can't swim, and I know he sinks, and he had the extra weight on him. So I pushed him in the pool and I walked back out of the pool area and I went inside the house. I was hoping at that point in time that he would drown. He wouldn't be able to get out of the pool because of the extra weight and he was sinking and in the deep end. But he didn't die, thank God. He was able to get out and he chased after me inside the house and grabbed me by my ankle and dragged me down the stairs and screaming and yelling at me and I tried to just play it off saying, well, you always push me into the pool for fun so I was just trying to do the same thing. <laughs> so to have that mental state at that point at 12 years of age to kill somebody and your own father, <laughs> that should tell you right there that I was at my breaking point. <laughs> that it was either his life or mine. And I don't know, something has told me that my life was valuable. So it's his life that's gonna go. So that's why I did it at that point of time. And so that kind of gives you a little bit more idea of my yes. mental state. And then now onto your question of how did it unfold that he was arrested. So the day that he got arrested, it was a shock at that point in time again. <laughs> And uh, I was in the shower and I came out of the shower and there was two men dressed in suits and they were standing on either side of the bathroom door when I came out. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, no problem, you know, continue on. And I just looked at my mom like, what's going on? And they're like, they're here to arrest your father. And I was like, what? You know, and then they said, for what? And then they said Children's Aid was on their way to question myself and my brother. And my mom took us quickly and said, don't tell them anything or else they're going to take you away from, from me. And you'll, I don't know, you'll end up with a really bad situation. As if our situation wasn't already bad as is. Um, so we kept our, our mouths quiet. We said we didn't know what was going on. No, nobody's abusing us. And apparently when my father was arrested, he got arrested that day when he came home from work. And when they arrested him, he told them that my mom beats us or beats me in particular, really bad. And then the, the police told Children's Aid, so Children's Aid, you know, took me into the basement, spoke to me, and I said, no, I said, he's just angry at my mom for all of this going down, so he's just lashing out at us. So I said, you know, like, it's not true. My mom doesn't beat us, but she really did. I was just scared. I didn't know what else to do, didn't know what to say. Like, everything was going 
down around me and blowing up around me and it was just like I had to have something that I knew stable kind of in my life so I kept my mom in my life at that point I didn't know any better I didn't know any different mm -hmm. and then uh, so your your dad ended up somehow going to prison mm -hmm. and uh, you ended up somehow in a foster care home yes <laughs> I want us to talk about now because uh, everything that can go wrong in your life ever since you were young has been just going wrong and wrong and we're gonna see in all these series but now you end up in a foster care home and a foster care home for those who do not know is uh, like an orphanage because we have uh, a global audience watching this program right now we just want to give you the perspective now you are in the foster care home tell us more about this situation you found yourself in well, the foster care, how I ended up in that was a few months after my father was arrested. He went to, uh, he was in Barton Street Jail in Hamilton first. And then when he was sentenced, they transferred him to Kingston Penitentiary to Millhaven. Um, it was widely publicized mm -hmm. um, because when they did arrest him, they did release him yet a second time. They mm -hmm. released him and then they ended up putting a Canada-wide warrant out for his arrest. So. What my father has done was, it wasn't, I need to clarify this part. It wasn't me that he got arrested for at that point in time. Mm -hmm. It was children from the daycare center. So he abused children from the daycare center as well. Yes. So they're wow. the ones who came forward first. Mm -hmm. And I was still petrified, so I kept my mouth shut and everything. Um, and so he got sentenced for those children and went to Kingston Penitentiary, um, Millhaven. And my mom, we got into an argument. It was her arguing with me. And I didn't understand some of the things that she said. And she touched me inappropriately and said, oh, do you like it when he touched your breasts and stuff like that? And I didn't clue in at the time because there was just a lot of commotion at the time. And then we got into an actual physical brawl because she, her touching me inappropriately I actually lashed out and I hit her mm -hmm. and then it got very physical and she tried smothering me with my pillow and it was maybe a couple days after that then went to the doctor's office and she walked out after telling them she's your problem I don't need her anymore and she walked out and left me there abandoned me in the doctor's office Wow now after going through this child abuse from your home you go into the foster care, more child abuse as well. Yeah, there was more child abuse while I was in foster care. I ended up in a foster home first, which mm -hmm. is being placed with a private family. Mm -hmm. um, and the foster mom there, she wore a key around her neck, which was a lock for cupboards and cupboards, um, the fridge door and stuff like that. So we weren't allowed to eat when we wanted to eat if we were hungry. Um, there was four of us girls. We were locked in our bedroom at nighttime, four of us in one bedroom, which was too small for four girls. And I got into fights at school when I was in that foster home, got expelled from school. And it was the fights I got into were in regards to my father, the newspaper articles 
having them cut out of the newspaper, written Daddy's Little Girl on them, shoved in my locker at school. Um, I had a couple friends that would fight for me as well. You know, they'd stick up for me and stuff, you know, chase people down the halls if they seen stuff like that and report them. But it was all way too much for me. Um, and I ran away from the foster home because it was like jumping from the fire into another fire, mm -hmm. not even a frying pan into the fire. It was a fire into an, the next fire. Mm -hmm. And I ended up uh, being switched around from uh, foster homes to then into group homes, which is more like the orphanage where mm -hmm. bad kids, labeled bad kids are sent that nobody will want. You are now in this place and uh, you begin to now experiment with the drugs. Hmm. There's drugs, and I want you to name some of those drugs because as you shared with me, I was like, some of them I've never even heard about them. So now tell us, because now, it's, like I said, everything is going wrong. Now you are in the foster home. Now you're going to experiment drugs, try to find affirmation with other groups. T tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well... I would always be a runaway. So I was always running away, um, never obviously accepted even at a group home. I even had uh, one of the workers there give me a hard time at the group home because I didn't want to go on uh, an excursion, an outing that they were going on to um, a, a, a park. And the reason why I didn't want to go was because it was a park that I would go to with my family and my father would sexually abuse me say that he's taking us on a hike, taking me on a hike, and he would sexually abuse me at that park. Mm -hmm. So to me, that park was a trigger, so I didn't want to go, but the worker, you know, is telling me, oh, boo-hoo, you know, crying and, you know, just m mocking me. And so I stayed behind that day, and I was told because I didn't go, I had to fill in the potholes in the long driveway. So I said, no problem, I can do that. I said I just need to get changed into some, some grubby clothes, so I went upstairs, I packed a bag, threw it out my window, and had my grubby clothes on, and I went out, pretended to be filling potholes, they looked out, and I waved at them and everything, but as soon as they turned their backs, I was gone. I grabbed my bag, I took off out onto the road, and I'd be hitchhiking. So, thank and God... And how old were you at that time? At that point in time, I was 13. 13 years old. 13 years old and hitchhiking. Wow. So I ended up with a, a teenage boy once picking me up. And thank God he was a, a good guy. He was a good teenager. You know, he didn't take advantage of me or anything. Instead, he wanted to be a friend, you know, help out in the situation. So we, I ended up meeting his friends and becoming friends with them, and we would party. <laughs> and partying meant they were 16, 17, 18 years old, and I'm 13. Wow. So I was drinking, I was smoking weed at that point in time. I thought, hey, this is some place I'm actually fitting in. They like me here. They're not mocking me. They know I've been through a little bit of a hard time. I haven't told them everything, but they're accepting of me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I ended up uh, having, I guess, a little boyfriend at that point in time, and he would go to um, go away for the weekend with his family to their trailer. And so it was like the long weekend in May, May 24th weekend, and uh, he knew I was living at the streets on the streets at the time. He said, there's a key under the mat, go and be in the house. 
just don't mess it up, don't take anybody else in, and just be gone before we, my parents and I get back. I said, no problem. So I did that. I didn't mess up the house, but somehow they knew that somebody had been in the house, and they saw it as a chance to do um, some, I guess, insurance scams. So they said that I had stolen their TV, stereos, everything else, and uh, there was a warrant put out for my arrest at that point in time. I didn't know and I was still out partying away and I got introduced to some other people and they were in a street gang. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really connected well with them because, you know, birds of a feather kind of flock together and they've been through abuse situations, they've had rough upbringings as well and that's what took them to the gang life. So they're like, hey, you're one of us, come be with us and we'll, you know, protect you and we'll help you to, you know, get through this. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So I became part of their gang. So, you know, I was doing more drugs than just smoking weed. At this point, I was getting into some really hardcore stuff. So I was actually um, snorting some cocaine. I was smoking cocaine. I was doing masculine, um, even speed. I was addicted to speed. Um, but... Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about that one later on. Um, but yeah, so that those were some of the drugs I was doing, LSD as well, um, hallucinogenics, all that type of stuff, and drinking alcohol from the time I woke up until the time I passed out. Wow. So it was just party central, crime central. Um, I was the only girl in the gang, so the boys were out doing the crimes, and I would be their lookout for them, so I'd keep six. Wow. So I'd be watching for the police while they're breaking in places, um, mostly businesses, mm -hmm. stealing money, cigarettes, lottery tickets, and that, and to get money, a source mm -hmm. of income and stuff like that. So I'd watch for the police so that they wouldn't get caught because if they got caught, mm -hmm. if I didn't get caught, they wouldn't rat me out, but I had no, nothing to survive off of, no food and stuff like that because they were helped. That's what paid for my survival as well. As we begin to end uh, this part, uh, this is uh, part one, because um, for our viewers watching from around the world, uh, I want you to really, really pay attention to this testimony. Uh, the next part will be talking about the, uh, Nana's turning point. But before we go, I just want you to share with us now, at this point, you are arrested, you are in prison, what's going on? Um, well, I was arrested and I was put into, um, at this point it wasn't actually prison, it was open custody. <laughs> so this is my first encounter with the law and I do mark at number one encounter. Number one. Um, and so I went to an open custody facility which is like a group home, except for you're not allowed to come and go as you please. So same type of setting yet again, and with other kids that are labeled bad, obviously, because they're criminals as well, they've been charged. And uh, I was released on my own, not, not on my own, I was released on bail. And it was actually my mother who bailed me out. Your mother came back into the picture. She came back into the picture. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you are the least from the prison. Um, um, you went to prison again. Yes, I did. The second one. Tell us briefly about that. Okay, well, being back in my mother's house, 
Obviously, as you know from previously, it wasn't a very good environment to be in, you know, to begin with. And then now, you know, being a teenager, being uh, on drugs and drinking and part of a street gang and doing different things like that, um, I was out on bail, so I had conditions on me. And my mom, one time I came home from work, she gave me a problem and met me at the back door and I was stuck on the landing, cornered in, and she screaming, yelling at me. And that's how I ended up in jail the second time because I tried to move her out of the way so I could get past her. But she took a step backwards and she fell down the stairs. And she called the police and said that I had pushed her down the stairs. I had assaulted her. And two weeks later, that's when the police showed up and arrested me again and put me in Barton Street Jail in Hamilton. As you're listening to this, uh, to this uh, testimony, um, uh, we're going to end right here. I want you to watch the next part as we go through the turning point of Nana's life. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you as you continue to watch Unstoppable Faith. We bring you real deal testimonies of what God is doing and he has done through our line. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord watch over you. Until then, shalom. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Faith with Dr. Kazumba Charles. If this program has been a blessing to you, write to us at life at kazumbacharles.com and share your testimony.